Welcome to the Reset Podcast. I'm Liz Tran, an executive coach to founders and CEOs of fast-growing tech companies. And I attribute my success to my spiritual practices, which are rooted in mindfulness and Zen Buddhism. In this podcast, I combine business advice with spiritual lessons to help you lead a courageous, authentic, and fulfilled life. Hi, everyone. The podcast is a day late. I am very sorry about that. I was actually taking a little vacation last week. It was really nice. I didn't go anywhere special. I went to the Hamptons. I rented a little Airbnb in Southampton. And I really just slept for like nine or 10 hours every night and hung out with my dog and laid with my feet in the grass and took walks and didn't work as much as I normally do. And it was really, really nice. I also forgot my microphone, so I couldn't record. But I think ultimately it was for the best because it gave me some more time just to do nothing, which I haven't done in a really long time. So thank you for being patient with me. I am making up for it by putting a lot of TLC into this episode. It is one of my favorite topics to discuss. This is the upper limit problem. And I think most people haven't actually heard about it before, even though pretty much all of us have it. And I think another great thing about this episode is that while all of us do have some version of the upper limit problem that is preventing us from reaching our greatest dreams and all of our desires, it's actually pretty easy to solve. And so what I'll do in this episode is I will talk you through what it is, talk about different ways that you can see how you might be expressing this problem in your own day-to-day life, and then finally, how you can counteract it and how you can prevent the upper limit problem from standing in your way of getting what you want. Okay, so first off, what I want to say is that all of this information comes from my favorite, favorite, favorite self-help book of all time. It is called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And when I was in my early 30s, maybe I was 30, I had a boss who told me about this book. And she was such an exceptional human being. I read it right away. And that was, you know, almost a decade ago. It was eight years ago. And I still have come back to this book over and over and over again. I've probably read this book, I'm not kidding you, like probably 10 times. And the reason why I'm able to read it over and over again is because the message is so accurate every single time. I continually find myself caught up again and again in the upper limit problem, and I need to remind myself that there's a way to get out of it. So all of that being said, I want to highly encourage you to buy this book and read it right away. Of course, I'm going to do my best to give you an overview of this central concept, but there's nothing like reading all the examples in the book and really hearing the message over and over and over again. The writing is really clean, very simple, very digestible, and it just makes an impact. Every time I read it, I'm continually surprised by the examples that they give, the stories they tell, the analogies and metaphors he uses to phrase the examples. It's great. I will stop raving about it, but I wanted to obviously give kudos to the source material. Okay, so now let's just dive in. What is the upper limit problem? 
The first thing that we need to understand is that all of us have an internal thermostat that we use to have a setting for how much success, love, and creativity we allow in our lives. And when we have experiences that cause us to go beyond our default settings, it feels very uncomfortable. And we can actually start to self-sabotage. And without consciously realizing it, we begin to behave in certain ways that then cause more unhappiness, misfortune in our lives. And so then our situation drops back down to the setting that we're more comfortable with, right? A lot of us actually cannot feel comfortable and happy in a higher level of success, love, and creativity than they've been programmed to feel from their childhood. And I really feel this so strongly. It was after reading this book that it became so clear to me how much I had been sabotaging my home life. When I read the book, at that point, I had been living in New York for about a decade, and I had moved so many times in that decade. I mean, I'd moved more than anyone else. It was a joke with one of my friends and her husband that every single block of the city, she would say, oh, Liz used to live there. And I was perpetually unhappy with my living situation. I was always thinking, oh, my life would be so much better, so much happier if I lived in the village or if I lived in a two-bedroom apartment or if I had a better roommate or if I had a shorter commute. And so I was in this constant state of looking for apartments moving and then becoming unhappy and repeating that cycle over and over again. And when I read this book, I could see that I was actually keeping my inner thermostat at the same level it was from what I was used to as a child. We moved all the time when I was growing up. We never had a place that truly felt like home. It was always going from one apartment to the next, I never felt like I could settle down. I never had very much notice for when we might be moving again. And so as an adult, I was doing the exact same thing. I was unconsciously creating reasons why I should be upset about my living situation and then therefore going into the same pattern of constantly being unhappy, constantly moving, and constantly being in a state of transition. And this is, of course, an extreme example but we all fall prey to this pattern of getting more money, more love, more success, or more happiness than we're used to or believe that we deserve. And then we find ways to actually ruin that for ourselves. Let's talk about the money thing first. So we all have a certain amount of money that we believe that we deserve, right? A certain amount of money that we're used to having, a certain comfort level. And that is why over 60% of lottery winners spend all of their money within two years and then are quickly returned to the same net worth that they had before. And this is even true for the ones that won so much money, hundreds of millions of dollars. And the book gives one example of a person named Jack Whitaker who won over $300 million in the Powerball lottery. And he has been extensively studied because of how many disasters came into his life after he brought this money in. So his wife left him. He was robbed of half a million dollars in cash when he passed out at a strip club. His granddaughter died of a drug overdose in his own home. 
He was arrested for drunk driving. He was arrested for assaulting a bartender. He had over 400 lawsuits brought against him by his friends, his family members, etc. And the funny part is, he was actually quite wealthy before he won the Powerball. He was actually already a millionaire. And so what happened was this infusion of resources and cash that was beyond what he ever imagined for himself triggered his upper limit problem. And as a result, he completely self-sabotaged his own life. Now let's talk about love and relationships. Many of us do that here too, especially if we've grown up in environments where there was a lot of conflict or a lot of arguing or love that felt very conditional and withheld if you didn't do the right thing. And so we take that toxic programming of what we believe love is and we turn it to our present day relationships. When we see something really good, a relationship that is really loving, really strong, we're not able to appreciate or recognize it for how great it actually is. And my friend had us a really great story about this where he was telling me how his mom was always a little withholding of love. Sometimes she would be really cold to him and she would often say things aloud like, oh, I wish I hadn't had kids. I wish I had never gotten married. And she would joke around, never have kids, never get married. You don't know what you're in for. And other times she would be incredibly overbearing and not give him very much privacy or personal space. And her love, as a result, never felt unconditional. It always felt unpredictable. He never knew what he was going to get. And then when he met his partner, at the time he was head over heels in love with her, he thought, wow, how could I ever get such a magnificent person to care about me too? And then when she did, and she was steady, and she was consistent, and she loved him unconditionally, it actually made him push her away. He thought to himself, oh, there must be something wrong with this person. Why does she love me so much? Why is she so available? Why is she so consistent? And it was only in realizing that he had an upper limit problem because his internal thermostat for love was set at such a low temperature that when he experienced a higher degree of it, he just didn't know what to do. It was too overwhelming for him. It was not comfortable. And then he broke up with her and brought himself back to a place where he felt safe again. And there's, of course, a happy story here. At the end of the day, he figured all this out, worked it out. And while the upper limit problem still does pop up now and again, he has a great relationship with this person. And I actually felt something really similarly as well when I first met my husband, Dev, and he and I were about to embark on a really fun adventure together. We were going to take a cargo ship across the Atlantic Ocean, and we first had to fly to Halifax, which is a city in Canada. It was our port of departure. And up until then, he and I had been having such a great time but I decided to be really distant that day. And I said, you know, I want to go do my own thing. I need my own space. I'm going to go to a yoga class by myself, etc. I found reasons to be annoyed. And then I went to a runes reader. I was walking down the street and I saw a sign said, have your runes read. And me being who I am, I'll always jump at something like that. And what she essentially told me is she said, 
go slowly with this person. And it's not because he's not the right fit or he's bad or flawed in any reason, but rather go slowly because you are not accustomed to being loved this much. And as soon as she said that, it completely resonated with me. The internal thermostat that I had for love was at a much lower setting than what I was experiencing with Dev. And it made me so uncomfortable. And I was interpreting that discomfort as an intuition that there was something wrong in our relationship. And I even feel this now sometimes where I'm always reminding myself that because I grew up in an environment where love was not consistent and it was very tumultuous and undependable, that it sometimes feels hard for me to sit in how much love and how much consistency and how much support I have now with him. And it's been really fun to acknowledge to myself how much I've let my internal thermostat setting grow and grow and grow and slowly adjust to the point where now I can be in this really beautiful, healthy relationship and let myself just feel good. Okay, so now that we have talked about love and we've talked about money, the upper limit problem can also express itself in any type of success, whether that's professional or personal success. So think about whether or not you've seen this with your friends or family members or even with yourself, how when a person gets something that they've really wanted for so long, they've been dreaming about this, working hard to get it, and then suddenly they get it and they're not happy. They complain all the time. They find a reason to be really anxious or really annoyed or really worried about it. And first of all, of course, I want to say that not all problems are self-constructed. Obviously, there are some real tangible problems that do not fall into this category of upper limiting that I'm talking about. And those are oftentimes related to discrimination, bias, mistreatment of any sort. Truly, sometimes people and situations are just plain bad. But I think that we can all differentiate between real existential hardship and then the ones that we construct for ourselves. And oftentimes the ones that we construct for ourselves have a solution to them, right? They're not a real problem. They're not something that feels extreme. And that's why, you know, the joke of first world problems, that's kind of what it is, right? In a world where there is so much economic insecurity for so many of us and so much hardship that it feels kind of wild when you see someone who has all of their needs met, they have a lot of financial security they have youth on their side, they're healthy, they have a family who loves them, but still they're just totally unhappy all the time. And you know that that's a real upper limit problem. I kind of knew that my upper limit problem might kick in when I moved into this house that I live in now, or live in part-time in Connecticut, because I had never actually lived in a house with a yard before. And suddenly this dream I had for over a decade of a place in the country with lots of grass and land and trees, had suddenly come real, obviously my inner thermostat was totally going haywire. And I made a commitment to myself that I would never complain about the house. I would never complain about the renovation because that would just be my upper limit. I had gotten what I'd always wanted and relatively any of the stress that was happening from renovating the house, it's like, who cares? I'm so lucky 
to be able to be in a position to renovate my dream home that why would I even complain about it? And that really helped me be grounded. And very similarly, it's now the same thing with my job. It has been my dream for so long to publish a book, to have a speaking career, to have great coaching clients who I love working with. And none of these things were an overnight success. I dreamed about them and I worked toward them for so, so long. And now I find myself taking them for granted sometimes. And that's actually my upper limit kicking in. I have to remind myself, this is what you worked for. These problems that you're complaining about are just totally minuscule compared to the angst that you had even just three years ago about whether any of this would ever come to fruition or not. And so those are the big three areas where this can pop up, right? So it's money, it is love, and it is success, both in the professional and personal setting. So now I want you to consider this for yourself. In what areas of your life do you start to feel worried, anxious, or even really guilty when good things start to happen, when things are going your way? Okay, so I think we have sufficiently covered what the upper limit problem is. So now let's actually talk about the fun part, which is solutions. So how do you actually fight against the upper limit problem? How do you get rid of it? Number one, as it often is, is just simple awareness. Can you become aware of when you're doing it? Knowledge is power. The small act of being able to shine a light on something is just so profound. And so I want to just talk to you about the mechanisms by which we often do the upper limit problem so that you can start to recognize when you're doing it yourself in your everyday life. Okay, so number one is worry. And this is when things are going really well in your life and suddenly you find yourself fixated on worrying about things that are outside of your control. So let's say you get a big promotion at work, one that you've been angling for for a long time, and suddenly you get to hire someone onto your team who you can manage. And you are so thrilled. You've been waiting to be a manager for forever. And then you find yourself obsessing with worry about how you might mess up. The second mechanism is similar. It is blame and criticism. And so you might be in a really nice situation, one that you've always dreamed of. And then suddenly you start to find all these little things to nitpick about things that are upsetting you, things that are annoying you, you actually find yourself to be more on edge than you normally are, and things that may not have bothered you before necessarily suddenly feel like a really big deal. Another one is getting sick or getting hurt. And I do this to myself a lot, where when things are going super well, then I'll go to bed at night and I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just look at TikTok for an hour. Or maybe I'll just read this book that I know is going to be really good and start it right before my bedtime. And it's a way that I believe that I'm self-sabotaging myself. And so then obviously I wake up the next morning, I haven't gotten a good night's sleep, I'm more run down. And then all day I'm grumpy about the fact that I didn't sleep very well when all that was completely under my control. And so for you or for people you know, it might be pushing yourself, overexerting yourself, taking yourself to the limit even when you know that it's not good for you because in that way you're activating your upper limit where 
you don't allow yourself to feel good anymore because you're sick. The next mechanism that you can express your upper limit problem is by arguing. So if you're picking fights with people around you, if you're being argumentative, if you feel like squabbling, then maybe your upper limit problem has been activated. And then the next one is about not keeping significant agreements. And so that's like if you have this incredible work project that you've been assigned and you keep procrastinating and procrastinating it and then you blow the deadline. Or you're really excited about someone who you've started dating and for all these different reasons that are quote unquote outside of your control, you show up to a really important date an hour late and other person is super upset and you've ruined it. I had a partner once whose upper limit problem was extremely activated in relationships and we had just had a really good run where we're super happy with each other. Things had been a little tumultuous beforehand, but it was this nice, really calm, loving period where we were both just ready to take this additional step into our relationship. And he was meant to meet me at my friend's wedding in Virginia. I went early because I was a bridesmaid. And of course, even though he set his alarm and he got to the train station, he missed the train by three minutes. And I was so upset and he was really upset and he said, oh, I'll take the next train and I'll be there in a really short period of time. You know, I'll only miss like 30 or 40 minutes of the ceremony. And so his upper limit prevented him from getting to the train station on time, which is actually a really easy thing to do, right? He's a very timely, prompt person. And then my upper limit prevented me from just saying, yeah, that's fine. Just come when you can. Instead, I said, I hate you, this is horrible, and we're breaking up. And so both of us had our upper limit problems activated. It was not a good situation. Okay, and so the final mechanism I want to talk about is deflecting. So deflecting is when good things come your way and you cast them aside really quickly. You refuse to acknowledge or recognize them. And so let's say you get a compliment at work about the strength of something that you've done. Then you might say, oh, it didn't really take me that much time. It's not really a big deal, right? Or you might have a really big win or really big success and say, oh, it all comes down to luck. Or someone might give you a compliment and say, hey, you look really nice today. And you're like, oh, what? This old sweater is disgusting. I haven't showered in three days. And so notice how even in the smallest ways, You are preventing the good feelings from coming into your life. And that is what deflecting does. And when you take all of these things as a whole, so worrying, blame and criticism, getting sick or getting hurt, arguing, not keeping agreements and deflecting, what they all come down to is you are stirring up the drama in your own life. You are creating reasons to be angry, upset, in conflict, in chaos that don't actually need to be there. And because your inner thermostat doesn't want you to feel better, doesn't want you to feel happier, it's in search of all these different ways that can keep you down at that lower level that you feel really comfortable at. And so all you have to do for step one is just to notice. It's not even about changing your behavior. It's not even about yelling at yourself or being upset that you're doing it. Just say, oh yeah, that might be my upper limit at play. Okay, and so number two of how to work with your upper limit problem 
is to work with what is called in the book your hidden barriers. And so these hidden barriers are essentially subconscious ways that you've been programmed to believe that you don't deserve all the happiness, success, and creativity in the world. And what the author says is that there are four of the most common hidden barriers that we experience, and most of our upper limit problems boil down to one, two, three, or maybe even all four of these hidden barriers. And so as I share them with you now, start to see which one resonates with you the most. The first one is feeling fundamentally flawed. That's pretty straightforward. It's a deep, old feeling or belief that there is something inherently wrong with you, that you are bad or not talented enough, that there's something wrong with you that other people may not really see, but that prevents you from fully deserving happiness and what you want in the world. So in childhood, were you ever meant to feel, whether advertently or not, that you weren't good enough or that you were bad or that you were the reason for any conflict that was happening in your family of origin? And if so, then this number one hidden barrier of feeling fundamentally flawed might be what's keeping you from really enjoying the success that's in your life. And so if you do a lot of deflecting and you do a lot of worrying, those are two of the most connected mechanisms by which you express your upper limit problem, then maybe you have a hidden barrier to work through here. The second hidden barrier, just like the first, deals with these deep old stories that probably originated in childhood. And this one is about disloyalty and abandonment. And it is the idea that if you expand to the full success that you deserve, then your family will resent you or your friends will resent you and you will end up all alone because you have been disloyal to your roots and you will leave people from your past behind. Hidden barrier number three is believing that the more success you have, the more you become a burden. And so this is very common in people who ever were made to feel like they were a burden on their family or that, you know, wanting attention, wanting to be seen was too much for their parents. Their parents didn't want to do it for them. And so therefore in life, when we shine too brightly, it can feel really uncomfortable because we're not used to being seen as a joy and a gift, but rather we're used to being seen as a burden. This is a big one for me. Whenever I do things to promote my book, I feel this triggered in me a little bit where I'm like, well, who am I to talk about my book in the world? Who am I to invite people to my book party? I don't want to be a burden. And I have to remind myself that my upper limit is at play and that I'm actually not a burden. I'm just doing my work. <laughs> I'm just living my life. I'm just being a normal person and I deserve to be a normal person, right? I'm whole, I'm normal, that's fine. And so I just wanna say that if you have ever felt this way, then I completely resonate with you. And then finally, the fourth hidden barrier is the crime of outshining. And so if you've ever been made to feel when you were younger by your parents or your teachers or anyone who you really admired that you shouldn't outshine the people around you, could be really uncomfortable for you to do that now, to have the spotlight or to be above and beyond what everyone else is doing, to feel different, unique, or special. And so oftentimes we have this fear that if we outshine the people around us, then we will be alienating ourselves from the love that we want. And so we keep ourselves small. 
so we can fit in with the size of the people around us. We are afraid that if we get too big, if we take up too much space, then we won't be loved any longer. And this is really common with kids who are precocious in any way, where they might express being gifted and talented in some field. And while their parents may, of course, approve of it and love it, they might also sense that other people don't like it. Maybe it's their siblings, or maybe it's their fellow classmates. And so they learn to shrink themselves a little bit to be accepted. Okay, so that was step two. Know your hidden barriers and become aware of them, just as you did in step one, which is becoming aware of your upper limit mechanisms. And so now we're on to the final and third step of how to work with your upper limit problem. And it is my favorite one. And that is just to have a light and playful attitude when it comes to your upper limit problem. In the book, the author Gay Hendricks talks about how some of his clients, they pronounce upper limit problem as ulp, like U-L-P as in the word gulp, but without the G. And so they'll say in a really kind of light, playful way, oh, that was an ulp. I feel an ulp happening to me or I'm upper limiting myself. And they do it with a really positive demeanor. They don't take themselves down. They don't self-critique too much. They just say, oh, wow, look at that. That's my ulp. That's my upper limiting happening. And then they quickly just shift themselves back into not doing that thing, right? You are aware that some part of you is trying to block goodness from coming into your life. And so what you do instead is you realize that it's just an ulp. It's just an upper limit problem. And then you try to focus on what that good thing is that's trying to come through. And so maybe it's like letting yourself feel loved by the people around you. Maybe it's letting yourself celebrate your recent achievements. Or maybe it's even just letting yourself feel proud of what you've done. So in that step, all you do is you have a very lighthearted, playful relationship with your upper limiting problem and then you pause and you let yourself feel whatever goodness, good fortune, or good feeling is wanting to come into your life. You stop yourself from blocking it and you just let it all sink in. A really great way to reset back into that positive attitude is to ask yourself these three questions. They're actually the first three questions that arise in the book. And they are number one. Am I willing to increase the amount of time every day that I feel good inside? Number two, am I willing to increase the amount of time my whole life goes well? And then finally, number three, am I willing to feel good and have my life go well all of the time? These three questions are so powerful, and I hope when you hear them, you're able to say yes. Yes, I will increase the amount of time every day that I feel good inside. Yes, I'm willing to increase the amount of time that my whole life goes well. And then after a certain amount of practice with these first two, then I hope that eventually you can say, yes, I am willing to feel good and have my life go well all of the time. That is what I want for me. And that is what I want for you. Okay, so... That is all I have for you today on The Upper Limit Problem. Please go check out the book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And as we always say, may you love yourself, may you listen to yourself, and may you say yes to life 
so that life can say yes to you. Thank you all for being here and I'll see you in two weeks.